Well, lockdown has now been in existence for almost a month. It is the new normal and it produces all sorts of challenges for all of us, doesn't it? Probably the most common sort of feeling is the feeling that we are restricted, that we're, that we're hemmed in. Some people will feel isolated if they're living alone. Other people will feel just there's too many people on top of me if there's loads of people in their home. But all of us, wherever we are on that spectrum, all of us, we will feel restricted. And the question in everybody's mind is how to best respond to these restrictions. You know, if you look in the media, there are all sorts of suggestions, advancing your own education or advancing the state of your marriage, advancing your cooking skills or advancing how toned your abs are. Mine are very toned. Advancing your box set binges or advancing your mental well-being. The, the list goes on and on. We're restricted, but how are we advancing in the restrictions? In our house, to try and sort of help everyone advanced in the midst of the restrictions, I told our older two children that they would always be asked, in future interviews, they'd always be asked, how did you best use your lockdown time? So they, they needed to think through, to come up with some, some project to complete or some new thing to take up. I, I was hoping that they might, you know, read the complete works of Shakespeare or that they might start learning a new foreign language. But then one of them announced to me that they would use the lockdown profitably by creating a swimming pool in our back garden. Now, we're very blessed with a, a large-ish garden for London, but I didn't think that all the searches on the internet for giant tarpaulins and swimming pool filters, that it would come to anything until I walked out into our garden a couple of days ago to find it looking like a meteorite had landed. There was shrubbery that was strewn all across the garden and in its place there was, if you like, there was some sort of lunar crater, maybe three metres by two metres in diameter that had suddenly appeared. Restricted but advancing. That is the focus for all of us at the moment. It is also the focus of our sermon series over the next couple of months at HTC as we work our way through Paul's letter to the Philippians. You see, Paul, as he's writing this letter to the Philippians, Paul is restricted, restricted far more than any of us are restricted. I wonder if you noticed as the reading was read how in verse 7, verse 13 and verse 17, Paul uses the phrase in chains to describe himself. Paul is in prison. No sort of nipping off to Waitrose for a bit of essential food shopping or heading off to the common for a half hour jog for Paul. No, he is restricted. And it's not just his freedom of movement. No, his reputation too, that's been taken away, tarnished by these rival preachers that he mentions. And his life's on the line too, threatened by the arbitrary justice of a bloodthirsty dictator called Nero. Paul is seriously restricted. Freedom, reputation, life, all restricted. And like all big restrictions and challenges, whether it comes in the form of the coronavirus lockdown or redundancy or ill health or less money or marriage breakup or bereavement or breakdown, a big restriction, as we've all discovered, a big restriction, it halts our progress. It cancels our plans and it undermines our purpose in life. And we're not to minimise the challenges that some of us are facing right now. We can be honest and real about how a tough a situation it is. You know, some of the stories of those on the front line, NHS workers, including stories from heroes in our own church family, they are tough experiences. And Paul too, he is real about the struggle he faces. But what Paul does do as he looks at the situation he's in, perhaps with a different perspective than we might. You know, most prisoners, most, most prisoners are preoccupied 
with how they can escape from prison, how they can get out as fast as possible. But Paul, he was preoccupied with something very different. Most prisoners are focused on advancing out of the restrictions, but Paul is focused on advancing within the restrictions. And what we find is Paul's focus, it is on advancing two things. Advancing two things, not his grasp of Italian and building a swimming pool, but the two things that Paul is focused on advancing is advancing the gospel and advancing his own faith. So first, advancing the gospel. Last Sunday on Easter Day, I finished our online service by quoting a bit of a poem by Christy Bother, a wonderful poem that's mimicking the Dr. Zeus poem about the Grinch that stole Christmas. The poem's called The Virus That Stole Easter. And really the poem, it's, a, it's really a prayer. It's a prayer that 2020, with all the restrictions that the coronavirus situation has brought upon us, it's a prayer that 2020 might be known not just as a year of survival, but it might also be known as a year of revival. And you know, that's Paul's desire too, in the midst of his restrictions in prison. Just have a look at verse 12. Paul writes this, he says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. You see, Paul, he was glad to be more restricted if it meant that the gospel might be less restricted. And that's what's happened, both as he preaches the gospel to the palace guard where he was in prison, but also as other people, other preachers, even with wrong motives, they preach more and they preach more boldly now that Paul was in prison. And in many ways, and in many ways, that is what we are experiencing now at the moment too. We're experiencing more people tuning into our Sunday services online than would normally come to our church on a Sunday. There are more opportunities to share the gospel in the global media. And just look at what a, a media star my friend Pat Allerton has become, dubbed the portable priest on his bike and with a couple of speakers singing Amazing Grace and sharing a short message of gospel hope. And you know, you don't have to be the portable priest to be advancing the gospel. I think the temptation for all of us is to think, well, life's tough now. Life is so restricted. You know, in the future, when I'm free, I can speak about the gospel with my friends then, but not now. Now I'm just going to keep my head down. I'm just going to survive now. But I want to challenge that thinking in each one of us. Paul says to us, he says, right now, with where we are right now, with life, with all its complications, all its challenges, all its restrictions, right now, how can you and I speak of Jesus now? There's Paul, he's in prison and he challenges us too. He says either remotely or with those we live with, how can we now be advancing the gospel? I've got in touch with a couple of old friends that I haven't been in touch with for a few years and I've shared with them, people are searching. And then I'm also particularly struck by the importance of parents at this time, us who are parents, advancing the gospel with our children in this time of lockdown. I love the, uh, the example and the story of Susanna Wesley. I don't know if you know it. She had 19 children. She was uh, a part of a very poor family. The husband was in prison twice uh, as the children were growing up. She educated her, her children pretty much single-handedly. She shared the good news of Jesus with them. She was rarely able to, to leave her home as she was just running the house, schooling the children, farming the land. Yet she famously, she used to carve out an hour of her day where she'd put her apron over her head uh, to pray. And the children knew that they were not to disturb their mum for that one hour. And those children, 
Those children that she spent all the time investing in. Those children included the famous John and Charles Wesley. John, the evangelist, the founder of the Methodist Church, Charles, the great hymn writer. And one biographer of Susanna Wesley wrote this. Within the walls of our home, she carried out a ministry to her children that was to change first England and then the world. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? Within the walls of her home. Oh, that that may be the case for us too at this time. A ministry that might change this land that takes place within the walls of our own home. And you know, that was Susanna Wesley's prayer herself. As a young woman, this is what she wrote. She wrote, I hope the fire of revival I start will not only burn over all of London, but over all of the United Kingdom as well. I hope it will burn all over the world. I said a few months ago that the, the theme of this year for HTC was the reordering of our hearts. But you know, what we're experiencing now is not just a reordering of our hearts, but we're experiencing a reordering of our world. And my prayer is that we will see this reordering being used by God to bring revival, not just survival. And may that come to pass, may it come to pass partly through each one of us, you and me, us advancing the gospel to those in our online networks and to those in our homes. Let's invite our friends, our family to, to watch church with us next Sunday on Tri Church Sunday to sign up for Alpha Online with us starting in nine days time. May Susanna Wesley's fire of revival, may it burn all over Clapham, all over South London, even through the hundred or two hundred children that are being raised in the Holy Trinity. Clapham Church family at the moment. May that take place, I pray. So we are restricted and yet advancing the gospel. But secondly, secondly, we are restricted but advancing in our faith. You know, that word advancing, it actually comes two times in our passage. The second time is in verse 25, where Paul literally writes this. He says this. He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your advancing and joy in the faith. And all that Paul has written in the previous few verses is basically leading up to this point that he is confident that he will not be killed in prison. He's confident that he'll eventually be released because he's convinced that it is better for him to remain in the body, to remain alive so he can help people advance in their faith. And you know, the phrase in the previous few verses that I particularly love, it's the phrase in the second half of verse 20. Just take a look at it. Paul writes this. He says, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. Literally, it's so that now, as always, Christ will be magnified in my body. Christ magnified in me. Now we've all been becoming experts on Zoom. We know when to mute the mic and when not to. We know the sort of Zoom etiquette now. We've seen the clips of the epic fail Zoom meetings, you know, the team meeting where the woman takes a laptop to the loo or the team meeting when it gets to the end and then the guy stands up and he's just wearing his boxer shorts. We've seen that. But the other Zoom etiquette no-no is when people, when they have their, they have their video camera too low, they have their video camera too low and it, it points up at them and it magnifies their nose. It magnifies their nose from the low angle to be this huge sort of magnificent, magnified um, honker of a hooter. And, uh, you know, you can see up their huge magnified nostrils as well. It's frightening. Scientists have apparently said that 
actually zoom magnifies your nose apparently up to 30% bigger than it actually is, which is a great comfort to those of us such as myself who are over-proportioned nasally. Just thought you'd like to know that. So magnified noses and nostrils, they're a no-no, but Jesus magnified, Jesus enlarged, Jesus exalted, that is a yes, yes, Jesus magnified. And just look at how Paul continues that verse. He says, so that now as always, Christ will be magnified, exalted, enlarged. Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul is in chains. Paul is in danger of losing his life. And what is his desire? His desire is that Jesus be magnified in him through life or death. And before you look at the next verse, it's a famous verse, but before you look at it, what do you think Paul writes? Does Paul continue by saying, for to me, to live is gain and to die is Christ? Or does he say, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain? Which do you think it is? We might expect it to be the top one, to, to live is gain. You know, the suffering doesn't come, we've gained, we haven't suffered. And then to die is Christ. If we, if we die, we go to be with Christ. But Paul actually says, no, it's the other way around. It's the bottom one. Verse 21 says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Death, says Paul, is gain. Death is better by far, he says in verse 23, because then we will be with Christ. We'll be face to face with him in heaven. Death and suffering and sin will no longer have any claim on us. You know, it was Henry Venn who was the founder of the Clapham sect. It was his son, John, who became rector of HTC a few decades later. But, but, but for Henry Venn, in 1797, on his deathbed, when Henry Venn was told by his doctor that he only had a fortnight to live, the prospect of dying and being with Jesus just so excited and elated Henry Venn that apparently he then lived for another three months. To die is gain. To die is gain and to live is Christ, says Paul. To live, living is all about Christ, helping others grow in Christ as Jesus Christ is exalted and enlarged and magnified in us. And if to live is Christ, if that is what drives you and me in our lives, if we are all about to live is Christ, not to live is me or to live is something else, but if we are about to live is Christ, well then it brings us such joy. Joy even in the midst of restrictions and challenges and struggles. Verse 25 again, it says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain, remain alive, and I will continue with all of you for your advancing and joy in the faith. And really that's where I want to finish the sermon today, with joy. You know, Philippians, it is a letter that is full of joy. I think it's 14 times in the letter that Paul uses the word joy. He's realistic too, of course he is. He, he refers to this situation that he's in, in prison. He calls it a struggle, verse 30. And our situation, it is a struggle too. Let's, let's not diminish that, let's not pretend otherwise. You know, some people listening today, you'll be struggling badly at the moment. You'll be struggling health-wise or finances-wise or emotions-wise or coping with isolation-wise or mourning the death of a loved one-wise. Please, would you click the I Would Like Prayer button on the webpage if you'd value someone praying with you today. 
And yet, here's Paul. Here's Paul. He's in chains. He's in prison. He is in lockdown. And yet, he is full of joy amidst the struggle. Paul is certainly restricted. And yet, he is advancing and advancing with joy. Just as I close, look back to the prayer that Paul prays right at the start of his letter. Verse 4. This is what he prays. He says, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I don't know what the future holds. We may lose our job or our health or our money or our freedom. We may even lose our life. But you and I, if we're in Jesus, we cannot lose our eternal life. God says he will carry on to completion the good work that he has begun in you. And he will carry it on, this good work in you of advancing the gospel and advancing your faith. He will continue it on, even in this time of restriction. Amen.